Apparently that was one. <laughs> yeah, we got I think he got it. That was pretty close. Uh and hey, it's us again. Now battle before we start, I have uh two questions. Yes. First off, welcome back. Thank you. That's not a question. No, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, the actual question, first one, since you are a Twitch streamer, how do you feel about the whole hot tub shit that's happening right now? Oh yeah, the hot tub meta. What's going on? I so okay. Everyone, I've been gone for a while because wait, I have a baby now. She it's just, my baby daddy. He a baby daddy. <laughs> um, so I don't know what's happening in Twitch right now. What What do you mean? So there's people who are streaming from hot tubs in their bathing suits uh, to get around like terms of service. And like some people are like, hey, this is suggestive or sexual content because they're in this you know, state of undress. And other people are like, nah, I'm just chatting with people from the hot tub. Yeah, and then a bunch of dudes are mad because they're like, ooh, they're getting all this money for, like, doing nothing. But it's like, so? There's a market for it. If someone wants to be a titty streamer, be a fucking titty streamer. Like, there's an issue with that. Like, with people getting mad at, especially men, getting mad at women for being titty streamers. That's okay. Like, Blame the market. To shame them. They get like, paid for it. Like, hey, so someone obviously want. wants to buy it. And the men getting mad are usually the men who are paying for it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't really care. Let them fucking stream from there. The real question is, are you going to start titty streaming? streaming? Yeah. You're going to uh, see them sweater puppies? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen my pictures of me on Discord? Being a complete fool. <laughs> so, you mean the tape, the the, yes. the taped up pace picture. Well, I'm always on Discord with my sister and cousins and stuff, watching stuff, and sometimes I mute myself and go crazy. And <laughs> <tape. laughs> a follow up question: How's it feel to be a baby daddy? It feels so awesome. Um, my outlook on life has changed a lot. I'll say that much, and. It's so cool, I think. Does she still got that new baby smell? Yeah, I think so. Like, she like, smells like a baby. <laughs> like your utero? Yeah. It's, it's it's Yeah, milky. <laughs> no, it's a really cool feeling. And I'm super lucky because going through the whole birthing process with Melinda, I realized that not everyone is able to have, baby, have a baby. Um, baby. So I am baby. I'm very lucky. Like Melinda and I are very like lucky to be able to conceive and have a baby. Like, and I'm super. Women are fucking awesome. By the way, just she, she throwing that out there. Out. Fucking women are so powerful. Um, watching her labor. I won't go into too much, too much into it in detail. But like, watching her labor has been like was awesome and she's so powerful and women are powerful even if women are not able to conceive like what women go through on a daily basis i don't think they're given much credit women are just fucking ridiculously strong and super powerful so thank you all women but a hat everywhere yeah birth and babies and whatnot shit ain't easy dealing with Bro- men Yo, shit ain't easy. Shit ain't easy. (laughs) And welcome to Bras of Murder, where we talk about titty streaming and babies. 
I am Andre. I'm Zaddy. Literally. <laughs> I am Kelly. I'm Robert. <laughs> and this is The Crew. We bring you True Crime Cases of Color. We play you music. And we just have a grand old time together. So now this episode is all about uh, children, coincidentally. <laughs> And different aspects that in the true crime world that affects children. I have a pretty uh heinous case that recently happened. I know Robert got some ish he wants to spill. I do. Tea. A little soapbox. Yeah, so a little soapbox. So uh I think I went first the last couple of times. So Kelly, do you want to go to what? Sure. And I'm gonna put you on a spot, but you survive. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Open your eyes, what can you see around? Wind of the open sky, over the siren sound This is a dream, getting the royal scar Holding a diamond blade, throwing it far um, <laughs> So, um, my case is about Aisha Degree, um, who went missing at nine years old on Valentine's Day um, in 2000, the year 2000. Aisha had a pretty, like, good home life. She's from North Carolina, and on Valentine's Day, her family woke up and she was not in her bed. And which also happened to be her parents' wedding anniversary. So the series of events was that the day before she had had a basketball game and her team lost and she took it very hard. When she got home, she took a nap for a couple um, or for an hour or so and then got up to join her family. And then they watched a movie and everything seemed fine. Around 2.30 in the morning, her father checked in on her and her brother who shared a bedroom before going to bed himself, not seeing anything out of the ordinary. At some point in the night, Aisha got up and went to the restroom and then came back and her brother heard her and was kind of roused awake, but figured she was just, you know, going back to bed and maybe moving around a little bit. So he just went back to sleep. She was not discovered missing until her mother, Aquila, came in at 6.30 the next morning to wake up her children. So the series of events is that it seems that she left on her own accord sometime during the night. There are a few different reasons why people think that she left, either because she was so upset because she was very, I guess, kind of type A and took the loss of the basketball game really hard. Like it's all on herself? Yes. Yeah, like put a lot of pressure on herself. They even, they did say that like it seemed that once she realized like that night that no one was mad at her, like none of her teammates were mad at her, that she kind of calmed down. But they did say like she was upset because she had fouled out and they lost the game by a point. So she might have been putting all of that on herself. She ended up packing a little backpack full of like just like a couple things like candy and things like that before she left and she was spotted two separate times around 4 a.m. walking along the highway. So once by a long haul trucker 
who actually pulled over to check on her to see if she was okay. He even he, he had to, I guess, kind of go down the highway and turn around to stop to get to her. And he thought it was really strange because when he got out of the car or the vehicle to call to her, she ran off away from him. Because, you know, he would have thought that, like, if something was wrong, she would have come to get help. It's, yeah, it said something. Yeah. But yeah, she ran off into the woods, and then I guess he just kind of kept going. Um, and he didn't report anything until he saw on, like, TV that she had been missing. Another motorist, his son, they drove by, and it was kind of a similar thing where, like, she just kind of ran off into the forest again. And they, but they reported it the next morning. And they... I guess they probably didn't think anything of it until, like, after the fact, you know? Yeah, well, but at the same time, I like, I think both of them were alert, like, uh, like something's weird, alarmed right? because how many, like, you never see, like, a little kid on the side of the highway in the middle of the night. Yeah. And she was wearing Well, and the fact that you too. you stopped, like, it was weird enough for you to stop, but it wasn't weird enough, weird enough for you to, like, yeah. hit up the authorities. Yeah. Oh, and it was raining that night, which makes it even more strange and like yeah so if she if she obviously needed help she probably would have gotten a car so it seemed like she was exactly going somewhere like she was on a mission yeah police did like when they got those calls though they were like kind of you know it helped the case along they were excited to see if like they could find out what happened and they had a traffic stop right around where both uh motors had reported seeing her so which that ended up being interesting because due to that they had investigated a property that was very close to where she was spotted on the highway. And um, the, the family that owned the property um, had submitted to the police like these items that they had found near the, like a shed or something like that. So it was like what kind of backpack um, a hair ribbon, a pencil, and a pen. And the ribbon was confirmed by her parents to be hers. And it was kind of what lucky. What kind of uh, backpack did she have? I don't know. I would just imagine just, you know, like a child's jam sport or something like that. Oh, I used to have a bunch of jam I've heard about this case over here. Really? Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, it's it's in clothes, your area, right? right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so all of that was found out like within the week. I think the they found the, the items like on Thursday, like Thursday after it happened because the day she went missing was Monday, Valentine's Day. Then the the next big kind of clue that they got was about a year later, on August 3rd, 2001, they did find her backpack, but it was about an hour north of where she went missing. And it ended up having a few items in it that didn't actually belong to her. So it was her backpack. Wait, and so was that also like an hour away from like the property where they felt like the pencil yes. and the ribbon and stuff? Yeah, which is, yeah, that's where she kind of, or not the area went missing, area. but where she was last sighted. So, yeah, they found there was a new Kids on the Block t-shirt and um, a Dr. Seuss book called McElliott's Pool. Or, no, McElligott's Pool. And while the book wasn't hers, it was from the library at her elementary school. So it's just, like, a bunch of really strange, like, clues together that don't really make sense. Especially considering it was found so far away, and it was found in yeah. kind of like a wooded area where they were making an access road, um, mm-hmm. where they, they were doing construction. 
I'm surprised they didn't find any like tracks or anything. It was raining it, too. Yeah. So I would assume there would be like some kind of trail to follow. Well, I would Unless always, someone covered her steps up. Yeah, I would almost think that maybe that like because it was raining, they would be less likely to have like if it's really grassy and things, you know. Oh, you're right. I was thinking of mud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, the last. So obviously, it's been about. It's been 21 years since she went missing. Um, they did have a little bit of an update in 2015 where someone said that they possibly saw her getting into a green car around the time of her disappearance. It was like a 70s car, either a Ford Thunderbird or a Lincoln Mark IV. And around that same time, they. The FBI, as well as I think a local organization, put up $45,000 as a reward if anyone had any new information. And I saw there was a video interview with her parents um, from last year, the 20 year anniversary of her disappearance, where they're just, if you like, if people had any kind of information, she's like, the, the mother said that um, even though at this point she's, 30 years old she just wants to like she is sad that she has missed her child's like growing up but that she would give anything to just be able to see her daughter again as well um if anybody has any information on Aisha's case the FBI has a number that you can call it's 704-672-6100 or the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office you can call at 704-484-4822 and we'll put those in the show notes too now, I, I think there's like don't they have like a walk every year right I, you like something like that I'm not sure I didn't see I know they do like, I know the family does something yearly and like they had to change it around like the dates but they were always like a walk or like a run or something like that. They, they were it. doing one, yeah, but they did change. They changed it from Valentine's Day just because they didn't want to have. Um, a lot of happens on Valentine's Day. Yeah, I don't, but I don't know if they still do it now. And with that, I I want to say while I don't have a case today, everyone, sorry, I, I did have some like information and on stuff. And when it comes to you missing persons of color there is less likely in the u.s to there's less likely that there's going to be a solved case compared to cases involving people who are white and that's just something to think about and additionally according to the patriot ledger the number of missing people of color is disproportionately higher and their stories are often underrepresented in national conversations and mainstream media and that is something that we at Bruz Murder that want to, to change like talk about these cases um, and really dive into them to bring attention to what's happening to people of color and especially children of color and women of color um, because it's not talked about it not talked about often mm -hmm. so just keep that in mind that there is a disproportionate there's disproportionately higher cases of color that don't get covered especially when it comes to missing people 
does the whole less dead aspect. It doesn't matter what age you are either. Yeah, actually, when I was looking up um, the the little girl who it was from a while ago, we I think we did um, just an Instagram post about it. But the little girl Heather who went missing from my my hometown. Um, when I was looking through that, there were statistics that say like. Black, just black children make up a third of all missing children in the U.S. So. And not only that, another thing you want to think about too, the way that black children are treated when they go missing is appalling. A lot of times they're classified as runaways versus yep. actually missing. Yeah. And whereas like white children, when they go missing, it's everyone goes out to look for them. Um, that, is, that includes law enforcement, whereas like when black children go missing, it's usually the black community that go out and try to look for these children, and they're not treated or the same like severity they're treated their as life. like missing. They're they're running away. Like these children are running away mm-hmm. because they're trying to run away from the problems, and that goes into a whole other idea that you know black children are four times as likely than white children to live in poverty in the United States relative you know relative to white children again so i think people sometimes play on that or prey on the idea that when black children go missing they're running Running from something because Mm -hmm. they have something going on and it's that's not the case sometimes you have cases like aisha who (laughs) had a great house that great family absolutely a lot going for her (laughs) yeah i think that's the part of the case that like always feels so strange and like so sad is like in the beginning when you kind of are framing you know this is what they were doing the night before of like they just had a rough like basketball game and they're watching a movie with their family like all those little things those humanizing things make it so much sadder yeah my case doesn't get any better (laughs) because uh the case i'm bringing is about jennifer yost who by all she basically is like the evil stepmother in a Disney movie, but like times 10. So now, my case is about a incident that happened, well, it, can, it like ended March of this year after a woman saw a young boy running up and down her street and she obviously thought that he needed help. She said that she was used to seeing kids run around playing, but this boy looked like he was in distress. She stopped him and said, hey buddy, do you need help? And he did. And what came after that was the unfurling of a three-year-long torture, like, home involving a bunch of underage kids and then three shitty adults. So now, in Mondesville, PA, criminal charges were recently filed against Todd Richard, who's 32, and the dad of the situation. Jennifer Yost, 27, a stepmother who did a lot more, like her crimes toward the kids were a lot more intense than the father and then their asshole grandmother. That's why I'm like kind of centering on her because she did some fucked up shit. Uh, and this long period of just torturing these kids lasted between 2019 to 2021. So it was a three year long this event. So now after the woman saw this kid running back and forth, then she talked to him. She noticed that he had a bunch of bruises on his body. Like he looked malnourished. He was skinny. So she called the police. The police got there, got to him, got to the house and, you know, saw everything that happened. So now the children affected, I'm going to call them JR, who's a nine year old girl, DR, 11 year old boy, 
BR, who's a 12 year old boy, the one that got the police to come to the house after he ran away. And uh, SR, who's a three year old girl, but she wasn't the victim. Like she wasn't victimized. I'm assuming because she was like the youngest. So they knew they really couldn't like, beat her that severely like the other ones. So now BR was a kid that escaped. And after running down the street and alerting uh, personnel, police came to him. And they also noted when they first saw him that he looks like a victim of abuse. And they noted all of his bruises, scratches, like his exposed ribs, everything on the spot. After getting all the information they needed, the police went and responded to the home where Wendy, the grandmother, and Jennifer, the stepmom, were the only ones there while the father, Todd, was out at work or something. So now police started searching the home, and after some time, they finally made their way up to the attic because the initial home downstairs, everything seemed normal. So it seemed like this kid's claims of like living in this <laughs> basically dungeon were like kind of made up till they got up to the attic. Now the police noted as soon as they walked upstairs, there was a strong smell of like urine. They just smelled piss all upstairs. Further investigation led them to finding like they got to the attic, pulled it down, went up there, and there were clear plastic peanut butter jars, which looked to be filled with urine. There was also a five-gallon bucket that had liquid feces in it. So the kids were going to the bathroom and these things that weren't let down. And after seeing this, the kids were immediately removed from the house and everyone was placed under arrest. Now, the local police chief who was there on the scene said that he has never seen anything like this before. That in their town, they had cases of child abuse, neglect, you know, sexual exploitation. But by far, this had been like the worst thing he's ever seen so now br told medical personnel that his stepmom and dad and his grandmom would often beat him with their hands belts and even mallets like big like big hammers he said that anything would trigger an attack during one of the interviews he said that the three children were abused starved and often just tortured for no reason whatsoever uh, BR said that his dad would always threaten to kill him. Like, after a beating, he would just threaten to murder him. He said that he would hit him with a wooden spatula, tree branches, a belt, and just any object that was in, like, arm's reach. He said that he had been thrown downstairs and also scratched by their grandmother's cat for just aggravating it. He said that uh, Wendy would often strangle him and hit him with a mallet, too. Like, that was one of the things she would just... That was her go-to. He said that Richard placed pliers on the membrane under his tongue. So that little, like, split you have under your tongue. He would grip that with pliers and hold it there. And the kid said that he often couldn't breathe when he did that to him. He said that Jennifer would always... Would also stand on him and choke him. And when he would, like, fight back and resist because he's being choked, she would tell him that she didn't care if she killed him because she would just hide his body anyway. BR said that they were also, like, when they were upstairs in the attic because they weren't really allowed to leave at all, that they would use the peanut butter jars to collect drinking water in from the gutter and also to, like, urinate in when they had to pee. So the same jar they were using to collect gutter water was also their bathroom. He said that uh, when they were allowed to eat food, they would only get leftover food that the other family, like their scraps, whatever they didn't finish or had laying around, they would throw that to him. They said the food was often uh, moldy or old, too. 
what did the system do for these kids? After the fact, or yeah, or like during, like, did anyone ever come to the defense of these children while they were there? No. So for these three years, no one knew what was going on. No one seen the kids. Like there was no like they weren't going to school or anything like that. So no one like, no one did shit basically for these kids. Like the kids would stop showing up outside one day, and no one really took notice. But that also could be in part to the family just like slowly isolating them. Because I read in situations like this, when it comes to like parents who torture kids, they often like slowly like exclude them from the outside world. So when they, if they do finally just go missing, no one really notices that much, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that tends to be a theme with abuse partners as well. Oh, just yeah, sure. slow isolation. Okay, so uh, the kids were also not allowed to brush their teeth, and Jennifer Yost would often duct tape their arms behind their backs. She would duct their legs together and then place them in a cold water bath. Like she would fill the bathtub up with cold water, duct tape them, place them in there for long periods of time, and then sometimes would hold their heads underwater just to do it with no rhyme or reason behind it. And there was three people involved in it, though. Three adults, three adults, yes. Three adults, yeah. Yeah, but it's just from all the kids' account, Jennifer was doing the most like fucked up shit, like holding a kid's head underwater when he's duct tape. That's that's some sinister shit. Now, Dr., which is one of the youngest boys, was the only one allowed to leave the attic. Br and Jr. were permitted to go downstairs for food leftovers only, and when they would go down there, when they were allowed to, they were just succumb to beatings and abuse. So. They often didn't go downstairs unless they were like really starving for food. Uh, BR also said that Jennifer hit him with a mallet and would hit him uh, and the sister on the hands with plastic bats. JR, this is the little girl, said that Wendy hit her with a metal object. And Wendy's the grandma, by the way, hit her with a metal object. And Jennifer would punch her and her brother in the face and arms. So now after all this came out, all three adults were arrested and charged with a just rap sheet of charges, thankfully. Like, they're throwing a book at these people. And, yeah, they're also denied bail. So, at the time of recording, they are going to the preliminary hearing next Monday. So, So I plan on following this. this Current. What happened to these children? Like, where uh, did they get placed with family? No, not not family. They're uh, in this system in protective custody. So they're with so like emergency, care. yeah, like well, like emergency foster care. It's shit. And on that note, <laughs> let's take a break. And now a short commercial break. All right, Robert, we're back, and I have your soapbox ready for you. Sweet. So go off, King. Uh, <laughs> do any of you remember in our youth there was an organization called Truth or Truth Initiative with smoking? Uh, yes, yes, with smoking. Yeah. I do remember. Okay. Um, so, you know, Truth has been around for quite a while now, and we actually got very, very, very close to having, like, a, a tobacco or a nicotine-free generation, uh, but that was all destroyed by the e-cigarette. Mm. Fucking Jewel Pods. I remember exactly when Jewel Pods hit high school. Man! <laughs> um, so first, to kind of frame it from, like, a perspective of people of color... CDC reports that between, so this is a period of 2014 to 2017, 
the largest group of youths, which is in this study, I believe, under the age of 18, that used tobacco products the most were uh, Native Hawaiians, Pacific Islanders, which made up 23.4%, American Indians and Alaskan Natives coming in second, and then followed by multiracial persons. So it's an issue that... uh, these companies, specifically uh, Jewel you brought up, is marketing all of these at children because that was a demographic that they were losing. They had no risk of losing the 30-year-old smoker who's been smoking cigarettes forever. Did he make cigarettes cool? Well, so there's also some information about so children who see it portrayed in TV shows or media are three times more likely to start themselves. So any TV show that has a character vaping in it is directly responsible for an increased rate of tobacco and nicotine use in children and, uh, you know, over 30% of those children being people of color. And uh, so over the past two years, the use of cigarettes has decreased in youth, but the rate that they use uh, e-cigarettes has not decreased at all which is a troubling statistic because those who start using e-cigarettes are much more likely to use, or start using e-cigarettes are much more likely to switch to a regular or traditional tobacco product in the future. So, you know, it's this, we talk about the, you know, school to prison pipeline, very similar. We're going e-cigarettes and pushing children because that's what they are at this point. They're not old enough to buy nicotine, but somehow they're plaguing all of our high schools and pushing them into cigarettes. In fact, they are starting to make nicotine-free chewing pouches. Uh, there's a brand called Zin, Z-Y-N. It's like chaw or like a little pouch you would chew tobacco with, but uh, it doesn't contain tobacco. It's just a nicotine pouch. No, they, they, they do have, a, so for a while, they have coffee tins like that, uh-huh. where they have coffee grinds in a little pouch and you just put it in your lip like it's true. I used to do that on deployment because, like, I just never had time to drink coffee. <laughs> so I would just, like, <laughs> had the little coffee t- dip right in my lip and just... It's crazy to it's me, great. too, just because with the vaping, like, I've seen so much where it's it's characterized as something to get people off of smoking, off of tobacco products. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the idea that people, that, that kids are starting out with vaping and moving to cigarettes, like... But there's also like it gets like like lower than that because they also have like the non like you said the non nicotine one so they have like the uh, I forget what the brand's called but it's like mist oil in it Mm -hmm. like water oil oh it's like lavender oils yeah yeah. like you just suck on this and you relax and it's like and then you're gonna start smoking (laughs) yeah well and I think that's a good point to bring up with like when it comes to you know vaping as a way to stop using cigarettes. Sure, that's that's awesome for you know adults who can make that decision, but the it's an industry that I believe has created this product because of a vanishing market mm. that they had, um, and obviously it goes without saying, but people who then begin to start smoking cigarettes are at a much higher rates for cancer, heart attack, mouth disease, all things that disproportionately affect people of color. So the uh, And and something that should be pointed out was that the lowest two groups of, uh, demographically speaking, in the 2014 to 2017 study were um, black children or youths at 11.5% and then Asians at 5%, um, which are still significant 
percentages. Yeah. If we're looking at percent of the population, you know, 11% of our youth are not black, but 11% of youths who smoke or use tobacco products are. Yeah, it's all about um, the proportions, boy. <laughs> yeah, and when we're talking about, like, wellness and health, like, mental and physical, um, you know, dependencies on products like this... Uh, kind of set you up for a long road of either trying to get off of it or just uh, leaning into it and damaging your health in the long term. Um, But I brought up Truth originally because the Truth Initiative actually is still around. They're still making commercials and like marketing on TikTok and stuff. Oh Um, no, they're on TikTok? (laughs) I've I've seen a little bit of their stuff. It's not as cringy as you'd expect. Like they, whatever marketing team they have, I think is filled with youthful people who like get it because <laughs> they're very much a company who's trying to speak to the youth in their own language, yeah. which I, I think is really commendable. Uh, so truthinitiative.org is awesome if you get a chance and you want uh, some statistics because obviously vaping nicotine is not good for your body. <laughs> Truth, Truth is like really dope too because they do a lot of studies where they talk about things like targeted communities and they talk uh-huh. about racial and ethnic minorities and like how tie how tobacco industries profile and how they are they strategically put stuff in racial certain and ethnic genre, communities yeah. and they've been doing that forever. Uh, and, like look 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 at rap and Newport cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, menthol. The whole idea, of, you know, like it's a huge joke, like on the internet about banning menthol cigarettes. But if you look at how menthol cigarettes are made, they're one, they're not crazy expensive. I mean, I guess cigarettes are expensive now relative to what they were ten years ago. But those cigarettes are easier to smoke, and if they're easier to smoke, and they put these advertisements in communities of color. Versus community like white communities because when I talk about communities of color, I talk about every person that is not white. Um, but when they are targeting, or when they put advertisements in these areas, and it's something that's easy to smoke or easy to get, it's easier for these companies to make money off of people that don't have money. Yeah. So, and nicotine, you know, it capitalism. creates a high and it makes you feel good while you're smoking. Obviously, there's an addiction to it. People are addicted to you. the feeling of what nicotine can do for you, what tobacco products can do. Well, um, um, that's also, there's two things I think that are also kit and caboodle with kind of what you're saying. Um, I know with um, tobacco products in general, they outlawed especially with when vaping became such a big craze, flavored things. Flavors, yes. Because it appealed to children, with the exception of menthol products. And I think that that was very intentional. As well as nicotine is not naturally occurring in tobacco products. They have to add it to make it addictive. So. The, uh... So, one quick little statistic for you. Nearly 9 out of 10 adults who smoke cigarettes daily first try smoking by age 18 and 99% first try smoking by age 26. So you know, after you get past 26 I guess it's you're, you're fine at that point just to experiment with cigarettes. Uh, but the CDC does say youth's use of tobacco products in any form is unsafe. You know, your brain is still developing. 
This is a, a powerful chemical. You know, you can uh, get very sick from nicotine and it will affect your brain development, 100%. Uh, oh, we were also talking about uh, use of cigars or cig- cigarillos. Um, I, I know probably dozen people off the top of my head who grew up, like, didn't smoke cigarettes, but would use swishers. Or, or black yeah, Blunt wraps and things like that. That are Those are tobacco products. Uh, and I think people don't often realize that, you know, they're forming a dependency on tobacco by, you know, ingesting marijuana or whatever it is through those means. What you used which, to do is you get your black amount, you empty it out, you pack uh, it again, but you gotta mix it with the black amount so no one can really smell it like that. It's high school thinking for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that and hookah has become more popular um, between 2011 and 2020. Uh, there has been a dramatic increase in uh, youths using hookah. I remember that's what we used to do in high school. Because you, yeah. you can buy a hookah like in these like head shop anywhere for like it's ten boxes. Smoke in someone's garage. The, I, I remember it being really big and like. 2008, 2009. Yeah. The uh, one glimmer of hope we do have, though, is that there has been a huge section of time that many of these youths who use tobacco products were unable to get tobacco products because of the pandemic. Because so many of their informal ways of acquiring this was either through someone older that they knew that they saw at school, or they could, you know, go to the local gas station who wasn't IDing or whatever it is. Um, so you, you hopefully have a, a good section of people who really wanted to quit, finally were forced to quit, and now they're done. They're will, done. Not, will not go back, but we'll see. But hey, good episode. Battle's back. Yeah. Da- Daddy's here. <laughs> and uh, I know we talk about a lot of organizations, but one of the thing I said in the last episode, where at the end we highlight like an organization that fits the theme of the show. And the one that I found that I want to highlight was the JLC, the Juvenile Law Center. Now, the JLC advocates for rights, dignity, equality, and opportunities for youths in the child welfare and justice system. They touch on youth justice, children in prison, foster care, and youth advocacy. All things that we've hit on in this episode. What a coinky dink. A crazy thing to you when you think about prosecution. Wait, 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 wait one second. Okay. So, if you want to go help out, check out jlc.org and just see what they're about. They're cool as shit. Go ahead, though. A cra- uh, what I was going to say is, crazy thing is, when it comes about the prosecution of children and children in like the justice system, there is it's so fucking crazy that there are about a dozen states that still have no minimum age for adult prosecution which means that children can get charged as adults for crimes that they Mm -hmm. commit and children get imprisoned with adults and going to different organizations like Andre mentioned helps combat things like prosecuting children as adults because children's brains are still developing and I fucking hate you should it, people say, you oh, should ain't done until you're 25 kids. bro yeah right yeah. And tell well if we can recognize your brain isn't advanced enough to you know drive a car mm-hmm. how, how can we say you can rationally commit a crime ridiculous yeah 
it, it's it's crazy we need to protect like our future and our children and stop saying oh if we just teach our kids how to do things and not overreact it's like okay yeah we can teach them however because children are still developing at a young age at young ages because they're children means like it takes a little bit more than just saying yeah just teach them not to do that and it's like no it's teaching it's coaching Showing. and it's talking with yeah. them it's <laughs> mentorship it it's a that. lot absolutely <laughs> well and it takes a village absolutely yeah. yes you know all your teachers and coaches and neighbors and it, it should not just be your parents parenting you right like i said great episode the gang's all back together we got a hot spooky summer coming up <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna be going crazy hitting at you with some shit. And uh enjoy the music. It's from my album called Balls. Your album? No, I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, bye. See ya everyone. Bye. bye. Come to the bed.